Welcome to Soli Church. This week, Pastor David Deutsch teaches a special Reformation Sunday message out of Philippians 3, verse 9. Enjoy. You may be seated. We're going to be considering this morning one of those verses that Josh just read. And so I'm going to read that again uh, in your hearing. Verse 9 of Philippians chapter 3. Paul, speaking autobiographically, says, And may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we give you thanks for Reformation Sunday. We give you thanks for memorial days that we can, in the present, give you thanks for the work that you have done in the past. And we confess that though you used many men and women and children during the Reformation, that ultimately the Reformation of the 16th century and its recovery of the pure gospel to be proclaimed for God's people who were lost in darkness came from you. And we confess, Father, that we are in the days of a need of a new Reformation. Once again, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been eclipsed by so many other things, distracting things, peripheral things. The things on the outside have been put into the center, and the center has been displaced. And so this morning, we pray that you would recenter us, that you would reset us with your word that your spirit would be attentive to your word here among us, and that as Christ is placarded for your people, that faith would have nowhere else to go but to Jesus and Jesus alone. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Anxiety. Ever had any? If I were to ask you what caused the great reformation of the church in the 16th century, anxiety would probably not be in your top 10 list. And yet it was the deep anxiety of a German monk named Martin Luther that God used to ignite the reformation of the church. Anxiety. How can I, a sinner, be right before an inflexibly righteous God. And the answer that changed the world and answered the anxiety of this German monk was the one in the Scriptures. How can I be right before a holy God as a sinner? Not by works in any way, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, from Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone, solely Deo Gloria. Boom! Anxiety done. Gospel recovered. Poof! To anxiety. You would think. But we have to have our anxieties, right? How would we, li- how would we live without anxiety? So if the gospel answer, the Reformation answered our anxieties, we will find another one. We will go on a search and destroy mission until we have our anxieties back. And so here comes the great awakenings. With all of their mixture of good fruit and bad fruit, 
coming out of the Great Awakenings, we found a way to have sola fide, faith alone, and get our anxiety back. You say, Pastor David, how did that happen? Well, it's because on the other side of the Great Awakening, that gospel was still being proclaimed, and we were not worried so much about our works anymore, because we recognized that those have been answered by Jesus, but now we turned our anxiety towards our faith. And so coming out of the deep introspection of the great awakenings and all the good that take place there was also the return of an anxiety, which is this. Is my faith strong enough? It's sola fide, but is my fide enough? Do I really have faith? What kind of faith do I have? Is my faith enough What about my bad days? What about my unbelieving days? What about my doubting days? What about what my conscience accuses me? What about what my guilt feelings overwhelm my faith? So you see, church, we may have tried to escape the anxiety of how I'm right with a holy God through the gospel of the Reformation, but we went and got it back after the second great awakening by focus our anxiety on our faith. Do I believe enough? Boom! Gospel rest gone. Anxiety sets in. We're all good. Not because I don't have true faith. The anxiety sets in because with the faith, that I have, I am looking in the wrong place. Church, listen to me. If you look for faith, in faith, inside of you, you will always be anxious for your faith. Let me say that again. If you look for faith, In faith, inside of you, there will always be a problem. Because your faith is always uneven. And your faith is always distracted. And your faith is always weak. So let me say something that is so pastorally important. You are not justified by the belief that you believe. You are not justified by the belief that you believed, and you are not saved by a faith that you have faith. That's where the anxiety sets in. We have turned faith away from what it should be looking at and who it should be looking at, and we have turned faith on faith, and we have found our faith to not be what it ought to be, and so the anxiety returns. Do I have enough? Is it strong enough? Will it last? Will it be here on the final day? And an overly introspective evangelicalism brings the anxiety back in again. So let me say this. You are not justified by the belief that you believe, and you are not saved by faith that you have faith. You are justified by Jesus Christ alone through faith. 
You are saved not by looking at your faith. You are saved by faith. And that faith looks outside of you, looks outside of itself. And it looks to Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. And your faith rests there. Not by faith in faith, but through faith in Christ. Faith in Christ alone, you see. And this is Paul's own autobiography. As Josh read for us this morning, Paul is giving us part of his autobiography of how he came to trust in Christ. And let's look at verse 9 this morning and highlight the Reformation gospel that will take our faith and turn it away from ourselves, away from looking inside of ourselves, and will put Christ before us so that our faith is solely and singularly and always looking back to Christ, which is why as Christians, we never outgrow the gospel. We always need the gospel because our faith always wavers, but Christ never does. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Guess what's not? Your faith isn't. My faith is not what it was yesterday, and my faith will not be what it is tomorrow. But Jesus is. You see. And so we've got to get our faith off of ourselves, off of how our faith is doing, off of how our performance is doing, and out onto the one place where it can only always find its rest. And that is in Jesus. And that's what Paul says. Verse 9. Let's look at verse 9. First, let's look at what Paul says about faith versus my own. Verse 9, he says, Not having a righteousness of my own. There is no righteousness at all, no right living, no right works that can ever be called our own that can be acceptable with God so that we might be right with God. Never. Not having a righteousness of my own. You see, that was Luther's angst. Is he worked so hard to have a righteousness of his own. And he believed that in the gospel, God required a righteousness that Luther could not attain to. That's why he had that deep anxiety. The gospel, the, the righteousness that God requires, I don't have, Luther said. Paul said the same thing right here. The righteousness that God requires, I don't have. But then it opened up one day for Luther that the righteousness that God requires, God gives in the gospel, you see. And that's when his soul opened up. And he said, I felt like I stepped into paradise because I don't need to have a righteousness of my own because I have a righteousness from God. Not just the righteousness of God, but righteousness from God. Look at what Paul says in that verse. He says, not having a righteousness of my own, but then he says at the end of the verse, but the righteousness from God, you see. The righteousness needed is something that God gives to us. And you'll notice the contrast here. This verse is actually a perfect chiasm, ABCBA. It's beautiful. You'll notice the way Paul says this. It's, it's, it's amazing. He says, not my own, from the law. Righteousness from God, by faith. Boom, there it is. Beautiful, beautiful. God provides in the gospel the righteousness that is required of me. He gives it to me, and I don't get it by the law. I get it by faith and by faith 
alone, you see. But beloved, listen, this gospel, again, the church has fallen down again. And I don't want to be one of those us versus them kind of things, but it's so important that you guys understand this. My students ask me this in, in my Bible classes all along because I harp on this all the time. Okay, if we believe that our salvation gets us to this place, just as if I never sinned, all it does is put me back to the place where Adam and Eve were. Okay? Justification does not mean just as if I never sinned. Because all I'm put back is in a place where I can sin again, and then, then there's punishment for that sin, and then I'm unrighteous again, and there I am again, you see. And so when we only preach the forgiveness of sins through the cross of Christ, we have only preached half the gospel. Because in order for me to be right with God, not only do I need to have the punishment for my sins dealt with in the cross, I need to have an absolutely immutable, unchanging righteousness on me before God so that when he looks at me, it is as if I have absolutely kept the law perfectly. Or I don't, or I'm not saved. Or I don't get in. I need forgiveness and righteousness. And that righteousness must be unchanging righteousness. That righteousness cannot ebb and flow with my good days and my bad days. And so you see, this is what the Reformation recovered. It recovered both sides of the gospel. It recovered Jesus dying for our sins, but also Jesus living for our righteousness, you see. And so the full gospel is forgiveness and righteousness. God gives to Jesus the punishment of my sin, and God gives to me the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's the great exchange. And that gospel set the world on fire because people now knew that their relationship with God was no longer dependent upon anything that they would ever have to do again. And so you want to know what they wanted to do? They wanted to live for God. Right? You guys know the difference. You're parents, right? You're either a parent or you're being parented. And you are, or you're both. All right? There's a reason I always tell people my derriere is flat. It's because I spent a lot of time on the wrong side of a paddle growing up. Because I, I knew how to do that. All right? I knew how to sin well. All right? But here's the point you need to listen. This is so vitally important. We know the difference between having the heart of your children, not having the heart of your children, right? We don't want to just discipline and train our children and then just, just have their begrudging obedience. We want to have their hearts. We want God to have the hearts of our children. And that's the way the gospel works. It gets to our heart. God, it gets us through gospel freedom, you see. When I recognize that there's absolutely nothing I can do to add to or subtract from the righteousness of Jesus Christ for me, I am free. You guys realize that? There's absolutely nothing that you can do in your life whereby you can chink the armor of the righteousness of Jesus. And there's absolutely nothing you can do by your obedience that can add to the perfect obedience that Jesus Christ has rendered for you and righteousness he's given to you. You see, that's how beautiful the gospel is. How amazing the gospel is. God looks at you as if you had lived the, the life that Christ lived. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And none of that comes to us by works. It comes to us as a gift through faith. And you'll notice what Paul says. I love this. Look at the beginning of verse 9. Paul says at the end, at the end of verse 8, he says, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. 
Where else in the world do you want to be found? You want to know where I want to be found in eternity past? I want to be found in God's elective grace in Christ before the foundation of the world. You want to know where I want to be found on judgment day? I want to be found in Jesus Christ so that when God comes to judge me, what he sees is not me, but he sees his own son. That's where I want to be found. You want to know where I want to be found right now? Simultaneously justified and yet a sinner. You know where I want to be found? I want to be found in Jesus Christ from eternity past to eternity future and the totality of my life, there's only one place I want to be found, and that's in Jesus. And guess what? We are. We are in Christ. And you want to know what happens to us when we're in Him? Listen, God takes the verdict of the future. When we are in Christ Jesus, united to Him, God takes the verdict of judgment day, and He brings it out of the future and into the present, and He declares the verdict of judgment day over you right now in your life, and He says you are declared by the King of the universe as righteous. Your judgment day has already been answered. And the declaration of judgment day has already come over you in the present. So you need not worry about that day. That day's coming. And you don't have to have any anxiety about judgment day. Because that day has already been answered by Jesus because you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And God has already declared your judgment now, you see. So you want to know what that day is going to be all about? Just rewards. Just rewards. Judgment day for you because of Jesus Christ is solely and singularly going to be about God doling out rewards to you that you don't deserve. But he's going to do it. And you're going to be like, but Lord, that's enough. And he's just say, oh, no, 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 I'm not done. Because remember that one time you, you said a kind word to that lady at the grocery store? Here's a reward for that. You say, but I don't deserve that. Well, yeah, he goes, yeah, I, I know that. But do you realize that because of my son and because you've been justified, everything that you do in addition to, you can't change the justification. Your justification is finished. You're inflexibly righteous in my sight. Therefore, everything that you do now is my gracious work in you, and I'm going to reward that. So every cup of cold water you give, I'm going to reward. Every kind word you say, I'm going to reward. You guys are going to have so many rewards when you get to heaven. You're going to need extra houses for them. And it's never going to be the big things you did. It's going to be the little things you did. And it's going to be God rewarding his own grace in you. And if you're like Pastor Joyce, this sounds like health and wealth gospel. It is on the other side. When you get to the new heavens and the new earth, you're going to have health. And you're going to have the wealth of the nations. You're going to be participating in all of that. It's the right kind of health and wealth gospel. It's the one that says in the resurrection, we enter into the rewards that God himself has set aside for us. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10 that we're God's poem created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has ordained that we should walk in those very good works. And God's going to crown those good works with rewards beyond belief. And if you don't believe me, read C.S. Lewis and the way to glory. Okay. That's that. Read the scriptures and all that Jesus says about rewarding his people on the other side. And the reason why that is the case is because nothing, you can't do anything to earn it. You see, the gospel always works backwards. You can't do anything to earn it, and so it's all free gift. As Augustine said, God is going to reward the works of grace in you beyond what you'll ever begin to understand. And you're, you want to know what you're going to do with those? You're going to flip them all back together. You're going to say, to your name be the glory, to your name be the glory. It's going to be this amazing exchange going on on Judgment Day. Oh, even now, come Lord Jesus, let's roll right now. 
he didn't come, so we got to go on. I'm, I'm Maranatha, right? I mean, if he comes, he comes. <laughs> Sorry about your house if he comes, but you get a better one on the other side. Uh, <laughs> but I may be found, watch this, that I may be found, Paul says, in him. Church, listen, this little phrase, in him, or in Christ, those two words are Paul's most used words to describe what it means to belong to Jesus. Not Christ in you, that's in the Bible a few times. Not your faith, that's in the Bible as well. But Paul's favorite description to describe what a Christian is, is one who is in Christ, one who is united to the Lord Jesus Christ. And why that is so important is that in Jesus Christ, we find one, listen, here's what we find in Jesus. We find one who has completed the work and life of man before God. That's what we find in Jesus. We find someone who has completed the work and life of man before God. Everything that Adam needed to do and didn't do. And everything that you need to do and won't and can't. Jesus did. When the moment came for unrighteous anger and it came out of you, it never came out of Jesus. When the moment came for you and you gave in to the lustful thought, he never did. When the moment came for you to say something that was mean and degrading to somebody and it came out of your mouth and it defiled you and it hurt the other person, Jesus never did. You see, at every point in the life of Jesus, he was acting not for himself. At every point in the life of Jesus, he was wearing your shoes and he was answering with a life lived to God for you so that the life he lived in your shoes for God could be given to you through faith. Your life has already been lived. Mike Lasala, your life has already been lived perfectly by Jesus. Jeff, your life has already been lived perfectly by Jesus. Kevin Springer, your life has already been lived perfectly by Jesus. Everybody in this room who belongs, your life has already been lived perfectly, and it hasn't been lived by you. It's been lived by Jesus. Well, you say, well, how does it become mine? In union with Christ. In him, all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has done becomes mine. That is why Paul says that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not, not, notice what he, notice the language here. I want to be found in Christ. What? Not having my right, oh, my own righteousness, you see. Not having a righteousness of my own. The righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, you see. So when I am in union with Jesus Christ, all that Jesus is and all that he has done, listen, beloved, listen, church, 
from the moment of the conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary to the very second that Jesus is alive right now at the right hand of the Father. That entire arc from conception to now, Jesus has lived the life that you couldn't live for you and all that he is and has done from conception to now is yours in union with him. It's beautiful. His life is yours. His death is yours. His resurrection is yours. His ascension is yours. His intercession is yours. Everything that Jesus is and everything that Jesus has done is yours when you are united to Jesus Christ by faith. Jesus holds nothing back. He doesn't say, oh, let me see how you work out your salvation a little bit before I give you all of me. No, that's not the way he is. Jesus doesn't negotiate that way. Jesus comes and he fulfills the terms of the covenant of grace on our behalf and we get the whole load in Jesus. We don't have a half a savior in Jesus. We don't have part of a savior in Jesus. We don't have a a savior in Jesus who will negotiate with us and say, you meet me halfway. We have a savior in Jesus who went all the way through and out the other side and he took us with him because we're united to him. What a beautiful thing it is. Paul cannot even conceive of his life apart from Christ. Paul cannot even conceive of his life apart from Christ. Whether he's talking about it here, whether he talks about Galatians 2, 20, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ in me. The life I live, by the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's Christ is our life. For me, Paul says in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain because it's more Christ. Christ is your life. Christ is your hope. Christ is your salvation. Christ is your righteousness. Christ is everything you will ever need. And in union with him, you lack nothing. You see, you lack nothing. I was going to go ahead and do something with Calvin here, but I don't have time. Uh, Maybe in a future message, I'll do something with that. So where does faith come in? Oh, faith comes in right here in the middle of this. Notice that all of this, faith is a part of it, but it's not faith in faith. Okay? It's not trust in trust. I don't trust my trust. I don't faith in my faith. Look at what he says. I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in what? Christ, not through faith in faith. And at the end of that verse, it depends upon faith because it's righteousness from God, you see. And so it's through faith in Christ. Beloved church, listen, this is so very important. This does not release Paul from pressing on, as he'll say later on, seeking to attain the resurrection. This is what frees him to do so if we had time to go there. But listen, this is so vital that you've got to get these two things down about faith. Paul says it's through faith in Christ. In Romans 1, he says, from faith to faith in Christ. In Galatians 2, it's faith in Christ. Listen, faith looks away from everything else to Christ. Faith looks away from everything else that you could hang faith on that would let you down. 
including yourself. The worst possible thing that you could tell somebody is to have faith in yourself. Holy moly, no. If somebody would say that to me, I'd kick them in the shins. I know me. I don't even trust myself. I don't even believe myself half the time. I know me. That's the worst possible thing you can say to somebody. Just have faith in yourself. And we see what that's doing to us. Everybody around us is faith in themselves. How are things looking in our culture these days? Yeah, exactly. Faith looks away from everything else to Christ. And listen, faith looks outside of itself, you see. Faith looks outside the self to Christ as he is revealed in the gospel. Notice what Paul says. This comes through faith in Christ. Faith that looks to Christ. Faith that looks away from self and looks to Christ. You see, here's the danger. Luther said this in his commentary on Galatians. This is, I found this to be so helpful this week. Luther said this, by paying attention to myself or my faith, I lose sight of Christ. By paying attention to myself or my faith, I'm giving all of my attention to myself and my faith, looking inward all the time, I lose sight of Christ. But you see, the gift of faith has been given to us not so that we will believe in ourselves, not so that we will look to ourselves, so that we will constantly and regularly be looking outside of ourselves to Christ as he is revealed to us in the scriptures and in the gospel and at the table, you see. Christ is placarded for us each week as we gather as the Lord's people. He's put before your faith for feeding as the gospel is preached and as the table is celebrated together, you see. That is what faith does. It looks away from itself and it looks to Christ and it looks to Christ alone. Turn back with me to chapter 1 for a moment. I want you to see this. Paul doesn't just let this go. In chapter 1, Paul is describing how we get the faith that we believe with. And he's going to tell us it doesn't come from us. The faith itself is a gift of God. And I want you to see this. He has soli deo glory in here. He has sola gratia in here, grace alone. He has glory to Christ alone. But I want you to see that even with the gift of faith, when he's just talking about faith, he just doesn't say faith. Chapter 1, verse 29. Paul says this, For to you it has been granted, or for it has been granted to you, that's sola gratia, okay? Grace alone. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, sola deo gloria, by God's grace alone, his granting to you alone, and for the sake of the exaltation of his son, it has been granted to you what? That you should not only believe, that's not what it says, that you should not only believe, what does your Bible say? What does it say? In him. That you should not only believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's just not faith. Faith always has to have something to land on. Faith always has to have something to trust in. And that landing place for faith, that trusting place for faith, is Jesus. For you, has been granted not only to believe in him, but to believe in him. You see, beloved, one of the reasons that the saints in our day 
in the church oftentimes have such a difficulty with the assurance of salvation. I hate to say this. It's part of growing up in the 70s and 80s. Just looking for love in all the wrong places. They're looking for a place to hang faith in all the wrong places. When you examine yourself, which is a good thing, guess what you're going to find? Not what you want to find. But what are you supposed to do with that? You're supposed to, again, here I go, growing up with music. Chicago, look away, baby, look away, right? Uh, so that's what you're supposed to do. You, you find within yourself that which discourages you, that which you can't hang your hope on, that which you can't hang your hope on. What do you do? You look away to Jesus. That's what you do. You look away to Jesus as he's revealed in the gospel. You look away to Jesus as he's revealed in one another and at the table. You look away to Jesus, you see. There is no other place in the universe for you to look but to always have your faith going back, constantly looking outside of yourself on Jesus. And what you will find in Jesus is what you will not find in yourself. You will find in him sameness. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And what you will find in yourself is uneven. And so it's not that it's unhealthy to be introspective. It's unhealthy to linger there. Right? Because that's a bad place to be. It's healthy to be introspective and then to take that and look outside to the only place that that can be answered. And that is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And so for the anxiety of having to offer works to God is the righteousness of Jesus Christ credited to us. The answer for the anxiety of whether or not I have enough faith or a strong enough faith The answer is not more faith. The answer is more Jesus. And more Jesus leads to more faith. It's not that there's no such thing as growing in grace and growing in faith. and Of course we do. Right? But I don't grow plants. I don't go out in my backyard and yell at plants that haven't been watered for not growing. And the only way to water faith, there's only one fountain in which faith is watered. And the fountain is Jesus. And Jesus has come to you this morning through the preached word. And he has said, I am the beginning of your life. I am the end of your life. Rest. Rest in me. Leave your anxieties behind. I got you. I've always had you. I'll always have you. You're mine. You're mine forever. And I sealed it in my blood. And we're going to celebrate that. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the recovery of the gospel during the Reformation. A gospel we never outgrow. A gospel we never get past. And this morning I pray that the beloved saints here at Soledad Gloria would feast upon you. We have a feast coming after church is over. But this, this is the feast of feasts right here. You our Savior. May our faith find a resting place, a place of hope, a place of unchanging righteousness. And may your people just feel free and at rest this morning, at rest in you. And if we're still struggling, and if we still have need of more, then may we move from the preach word to the visible word and pass that peace to one another and have that reconfirmed again. In Jesus' name we pray.
God's people said, amen. Join us every Sunday morning at 1050 a.m. For information, visit solelychurch.com, S-O-L-I church.com. We hope to see you soon. Soli Deo Gloria.